Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean Old Lion Media presents The History of Being Black. What up, though? Welcome to the History of Being Black podcast. I'm Jay Hall, and I am joined today by somebody who is a revolutionary. <laughs> somebody who has been a dear friend, sister, companion to me, but also a straight living icon in the city of Washington, D.C. Welcome, DJ Heat. What's up, sis? Wow. Thank you for having me and one heck of an intro. You, you're going to make me blush and shed some thug tears. Oh, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. <laughs> I'm going to go there for sure. How you doing? I'm good, man. Happy, blessed. You know, I'm I'm with my brother, Jay Hall. <laughs> this is going to be, uh, it may not even be, uh, people may not even be aware. This is going to be difficult because this is somebody who knows so much about me. So there's going to be so many little small things that there's going to be between you and I that I'm just going to be laugh or probably get, you know, he is like been somebody who's been like also like a mentor to me. So this is really like a, a graduation moment for me to be on a, a have her on this side. So, you know, this is a big deal, but I, I'm happy for everybody to get to know you and I'm, I'm glad you're doing well. Um, publicly, is this your first maybe kind of conversation since the pandemic shut down? No, it's not. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> it's not different, but those people don't matter. It's about you right now. Well, yeah, I just, this is true. I, I just wanted to know, like, how have things been moving for you, particularly since everything has happened? It's, it's still wild to see how fast we got back to quote unquote normal life again, because mm-hmm. to me, it, it's still not normal. <laughs> you know, we, we, we are living with, you know, you know, with uh, COVID for, you know, for the rest of our lives. Basically, as far as like, you know, it's going to be like like the flu. People are going to catch it. You know, I, I, I caught it two months ago after going through the whole pandemic <laughs> without having it. So that, that let me know that, you know, we're, we're still out here moving fast, but we still, you know, still got to be careful at the same time. So for for me, like I said, it's like, wow, like we're we're back full fledged. Um, and you know, with, with me catching COVID uh, two months ago, I was like, "Man, like maybe, maybe we shouldn't be full fledged just yet." <laughs> That's real. That's so real. That's so real. When it came to you being an actual DJ, there were a lot of DJs in that moment when we were in shutdown that were finding ways or being very vocal about how the money was affecting them. Were you affected by it? Oh, heck yeah. I was totally affected, like, directly from the beginning because, you know, one of the, one of the big moments um, that America experienced that let us know that, you know, COVID is here is when the NBA season shut down. And, you know, I DJ for an NBA team. So that let me know. And that's like, one of my main jobs is DJing in sports. So when the NBA season shut down, I was like, 
oh man, what am I going to do? Like slowly seeing, so I, I use this app that automatically adds the home games to my calendar and to see when the app got rid of all those games. <laughs> like to, to see stuff disappear on my calendar or other events that I had coming up. Like I got I got booked for my first South by Southwest gig. And, you know, of course, that guy can't just to start deleting stuff off the calendar and, and the cancellations all at once coming in. That was just like, man, like, what am I going to do? And, of course, you know, slipped into uh, a depression like like most other people did, got really, really depressed, was just uncertain, unsure what, what I was going to do was cursing out the unemployment office like other people because it's like, yo, I, I filed unemployment months ago, but where's my first check? <laughs> and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's real. I definitely had an episode where I was like Martin and unemployment line going back and forth with them. Well, on the phone line because when nobody was there, but definitely going back and forth with unemployment, like, yo, what is going on? And, mm-hmm. you know, how the attitude was. And, and I'm glad you opened that door about being a DJ for an NBA team because I want to start off to kind of go into the fact of you being a DJ in Washington, D.C. And born and raised, Southeast, South, South, Southeast, because that's what I know about you. When you think about, you know, and have, before I even go, just – just to actually be clear before we go on this conversation, have you always been okay with the with the title female DJ or lady DJ? Which one have you been okay with? Um, yeah, it's, it's always been okay with me to be, you know, female DJ or or lady DJ because I know, at least for me coming up, it, it was a rarity to to see many female DJs. Period. You know, of course, you had the legends like. Uh, Spinderella, you know, Jazzy Joyce, Coco Chanel, you know, but we just didn't see as many female DJs as we do now, which I'm, I'm happy for. I'm like, I'm so glad that it is so many sisters out here that are doing their thing on the turntables. What made you want to jump on the turntable? <laughs> Uh, I'm laughing because it's a, a funny story. Uh, the thing that influenced me to jump on the turntables was the Rex and Effect Rump Shaker remix. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> because on that remix, it had a DJ scratching on it. And every time I would hear it come on the radio, I got so excited when that DJ part, like especially towards the end, where the DJ was just going back and forth. Uh, uh, come on, come on, come on. I need to find out who that DJ actually is because I'm like, yo, like whoever was scratching along that Rex and Effects remix, that's that's what influenced me to become a DJ. So you know how some people, when they really like an instrument on a song, you may play air drums or you may play air guitar. I was doing air scratching every time that okay. part came on. I would just pretend I was a DJ. And I was like, yo, I don't want to pretend anymore. I really want to be a DJ. So, you know, the uh, DC had a, a summer job program, the youth, the summer youth employment program. And at that time, you could start working um, at the age of 13. So when I was 13 years old, my summer job, I, I saved up all my money. I saved every paycheck that summer. 
And, you know, you, you, me and you, we one of the same. I was a big reader of the Source magazine back then. And the Source magazine, you know, and again, showing my age, because, you know, back then when you wanted to order stuff, you, you order stuff out of magazines and whatnot. Out the back, out the back. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, they had, it was a place called uh, Upstairs Records, and they had like a DJ starter package. And I called the, the store and I asked them how much is the package total when you include shipping and handling and, you know, tax and whatnot. And they told me the price. So I had that price written down and I knew I had to save up that much for the summer. And and that's what happened. I, I, I saved it all up, and, you know, got my money order and shipped it off and waited six to eight weeks, which is, you know, I would think people today could wait six to eight weeks for a shipment. You know, we get stuff instantly. <laughs> You had to really trust that the money that you sent that you was going to get back what you um, asked for it too. That was another thing. We were very trusting of sending money orders. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, what was the actual name of the product? Like when you got it, like was it like okay, boom? Because I'm always hearing producers, and you know, please pardon me because I don't know the lingo. They'd be like, "My first X nine O nine eight. You know, what was it? to be like, this is going to make you a DJ. What was it for you? They were some Gemini turntables. They were not the best because even back then, we know the industry standard is Techniques 1200s, anything from the 1200 line. But, you know, I'm, I'm 13 years old, so I couldn't afford that package, the Techniques package. I'm like, I could afford the the DJ starter package, which was $299.95. If I don't have the, you know, whatever, the, the couple of thousand dollars it cost back then to get nah, the more upgraded package. So, nah. But it, it did its job. Um, I couldn't do, like, much scratching on it because it, it just wasn't that advanced of a turntable, but it, it was there to teach me the basics, which the basics that all DJs need to know is uh, blending and mixing songs. Did you have a teacher? Did you have to go, when you think about blending, did you know all that at that moment? Like by the time the equipment came or did someone have to like, were you at a party and somebody had to be like, no, that's not it. Like what was it for you in the learning process? So I also ordered out of the source magazine from my ad, a how to be a DJ video. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had a VHS video for sale, like, you know, learn how to be a DJ. And, you know, I ordered that video and I I wish I knew the person's name on the video and whatnot, but it, it was some it was some guy on there that that taught the simple steps. He's like, you know, he, he taught uh how to count the BPMs of a song. Of course he he taught, you know, blending records, little baby scratches and whatnot. So so that's how it started. I ordered that video as well down the line. Um, but it, it was things I got a mentor when I was uh, around like 17. Uh, shout out to the great DJ RBI. That is I call him my my Jedi master. Because I, I put when I was around 17, I, I put an ad in the Washington City paper. Because the Washington City paper had uh, a classified section where people in the music 
you know, that was interested in music, just collabing again, you know, so I'm showing my age, I'm, you know, people might be listening to this. I'm like, why are you, you doing all these things? Like there, there was no internet, y'all. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sure by age, there was no internet where I could just reach out or send out a tweet or a Facebook. No, I had to put an ad in a paper. And that's what a lot of people in the, in the music community in DC did. The Washington City paper had just an awesome music class classified section where people in the area would network through that classified section in the paper. You know, you look forward to picking up a new copy of the city paper every Thursday when it would hit newsstands so you could check out those classifieds. So I placed an ad saying I was looking for a mentor to, you know, to teach me about DJing and I think and I also said to make beats like Puff Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know he wasn't the one making the beats. <laughs> <laughs> little did but, you know. Little did I know. But you know, I was like I said, I was I was seventeen at the time. I just know that bad boy, you know, was starting to take over. Uh, so yeah, DJ RBI, he replied to my ad. So he would he taught me the foundations. You know, he had me listen to classic records with DJs on it, like Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel, and you know other joints. You know. Uh, you know, Furious Five, all all of that, like all the OGs, all the classic hip hop where the DJ was truly the foundation on the hip hop records. And so what's a great thing about that story when it comes to like DJ RBI, because this is what, like 19, 1997. So uh, DJ RBI still teaches DJ classes for the youth. He, he ended up down the line uh, working with a program in the city called Words, Beats, and Life, which is a, a hip-hop program for the youth where they teach the kids, you know, the different elements of hip-hop and, and, and whatnot. So, and RBI tells me, he was like, if you look at it, I was his first student. He was like, teaching me gave him, you know, laid the foundation for him to teach these new generations of students that he has coming out now through the Words, Beats, and Life Foundation. When you... You're getting the teaching. What route do you take then? Do you instantly start going to parties or do you start making these? Because DC in particular, and you know, I got this from you, go, go rule supreme. And it was about, it was about the bands. How does a DJ like fit in during that culture when go, go was like ruling everything? Um, for me during that time, you, yeah, you definitely had to make sure you had go, go music in your repertoire. Um, I feel like, of course, I was still coming up. I was doing whatever little, you know, it was usually like parties for like coworkers. Like one of my first real parties was when I used to work at the the movie theater. Union Station used to have a movie theater. And, you know, we had a holiday yep. party. Yeah. <laughs> and we used to have our holiday party. So I DJed our holiday party. Uh, that was like my first like real DJ gig right there. I guess I guess you could say I was like that was probably like in uh, maybe ninety nine two thousand something like that. It was it was around that time I I did that, but I knew I had to have go go. So this is something that uh, probably people don't realize when it comes to DJing back then in DC and having to have go go music. Because, of course, you know, most of the go-go music were on cassette. So we know that, you know, you DJ in every other city, every any type of other genre of music, 
you know, those artists are pressing up vinyl. Not that much go-go vinyl would get pressed up. So imagine back then for when you want to play go-go music, not only do you, are you playing, you know, you, you got you got your hip hop records, your reggae records on vinyl, but you got to make sure you bring a tape deck with you too to play the go-go tracks. Mm-mm, these go-go songs were not on vinyl. Like it was strictly cassette tapes. So <laughs> that that's something that I feel like is unique for, and this is before, again, before CDs came into the picture, showing my age again. So that's something unique when it comes to DJs in this area. Like, yo, you better make sure you had your tape deck with you too <laughs> to play those hot go-go songs because they're only on cassette. So are you building a name for yourself in the city as you're going around? Like, what's, what's it like for you and what's the support like? Are you getting support from your family? You know, because, you know, you and I are old enough to remember mm-hmm. when hip hop was still supposed to be a fad. Mm-hmm. You know, DJing and all that other stuff was supposed to be a fad. What's it like for you on a personal level of just starting to take this journey? So a lot of my focus was on schooling and not so much on DJing at the time because I know I didn't have that full banging system that you needed at the time to really DJ stuff. And I, you know, I, I wasn't in clubs. I think my first time I got into a club might have been like 2004 or something. And I, and I, I stunk it up. And so it was just several years of, you know, focusing on my education. I ended up graduating college in 2002 um, and then, you know, you know, internship and working at WPGC, but also working uh, my my nine to five job working as a manager at Finish Line after I graduated college. So I think focusing on the DJ part kind of took a back burner because I was hustling on making it as the radio personality part of things. Uh and so the, the DJing part probably came back into play. Uh, I want to say maybe like the late 2000s. And, you know, we got a credit, you know, CDJs came into play. So it was easier to get music because you got, you got that. Again, people don't think about the task it was back then to try to get the music and to spend the money. And you, I'm running from store to store like we we know djing is an investment now but especially like back then you know because we can get music from all different types of sources but you know i gotta drive around from shop to shop to try to get vinyl and you know you want to have doubles of the vinyl so you can go between and this like it it really costs (laughs) for that and me i'm like man i I didn't i didn't have it like that Mm -hmm. so when CDJs came to play, I was like, all right, bet. You know, it, it reached a point where, cool, I could just grab all this music off of LimeWire. So it, it'd, be, it'd be easier to get the music then, just grab it all off of LimeWire and stuff like that. So I was able to, you know, try to start making it a name again. And then we know how Serato totally changed the game for, for everybody and everything. <laughs> what made you want to try the personality side? You get the WPGC, it's, you know, that's where you and I met, but I wasn't there yet. It's it's historical, it's legendary station. What made you say, yo, not only do I want to, you know, because the guy from Rex and the Fact that we can't figure out what his name is, influence you on the turntable, but what influenced you to actually say, I want to I wanna be on this mic? Even since the age that I wanted to be a DJ, that's also the age I want to be on the radio as well. 
So like, you know, I knew since 12, 13, I wanted to be a DJ. I also knew since the age of 12, 13 that I wanted to be on the radio. I used to conduct little fake interviews with my best friend. I, you know, I need to find a cassette tape where I pretended that she was Mary J. Blige and I was interviewing her. And so radio was always a calling for me as well. I remember in, in ninth grade, they asked us to do an essay on who our heroes are. And I wrote my essay about Donnie Simpson because I enjoyed listening to Donnie Simpson in the morning. And also when we got the inception of the early days of the Russ Parr morning show, when Russ Parr was just strictly DC based before his syndication, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the entertainment on the Russ Parr show. I, I even remember in ninth grade, uh, one of my mentors in school, he tried his best to get me an internship at PGC and connect me with Prince de Jour because he was also a mentor to Prince de Jour. So I remember he tried to connect me back then in ninth grade. But, I, you know, in reality, I was just too young. You know, you can't be up in the station unless, you know, you get in college credit. So what happened, though, in 10th grade... Um, I had an internship at BET Radio. They had partnered up with my high school. I went to McKinley Tech High School in Northeast D.C. And McKinley Tech had a communications program. So that's the reason, you know, I was able to go to McKinley because, you know, in D.C., D.C. wants you to go to the school that's in your in your in your neighborhood, unless you're going to, you know, you're going to the school outside of your zone, you got to be in that program. So I made that trek from Southeast DC to the other side of Northeast DC because I wanted to be in McKinley Tech's communications program where they offered journalism, radio, and TV. So BET had partnered up with our communications program. So I had an internship at BET Radio, which was still in a early type fields with their radio department. So I really didn't do much of anything. And I, and I could tell that <laughs> I could tell the guy was assigned to felt pretty bad for me because he was just like, he really didn't have anything for me to do. I like, I spent a lot of time just sitting there and like looking at radio trade magazines and the one thing that was cool is uh, one day he told me to go over to one of the other studios because, you know, when that's when uh, BET was based in Washington, D.C., and they had several buildings over there. So he was like, go over to this building. You're going to go uh, watch this guy named Joe Claire uh, re record his uh, his voiceovers for Rhapsody. <laughs> so that that was a cool moment. For me right there, I was like, oh, man, I'm sitting here just watching Joe Claire, you know, do his thing. Here I, here I am, you know, like in 10th grade doing this, I think. In 11th grade, one summer, yeah, you, you're probably going to enjoy this when I say this. So that summer um, where I'm in the 11th grade, I'm about to go to 12th grade, my communications program at McKinley Tech, they partnered with Howard University at WHBC. Yeah. <laughs> and WHBC needed uh because you know it's summertime you know everybody's going back home they needed people on air and to do stuff at whbc during the summer so i was like i jumped at that opportunity because you know it's like wow i'm here in a radio station and the, the dude was like you know just do play whatever you want and like it really they had us high school students you know they, they made the schedule for us you know what our radio shifts would be and, you know, he, of course, you know, at this point, I already have my own turntable. So I know how to work the turntables and dig through the crates. And, 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 so I'm like, dog, I'm here at this radio. So I, I'm, you know what? I'm about to go on. Like, I'm 16 years old at the time. So I'm 16. 
about to go on 17. I'm in this radio station on a college campus at Howard with all these records. I could play whatever I want. You know, of course, as long as I play the clean version of it. Like, <laughs> like dog, like <laughs> I, I was in heaven. And, and, and another crazy moment there. That's where I met somebody else that worked in local radio because they were a student there at the time. And that's Two-Face the Wild Boy. So, oh, shout out Two-Face. So so Two-Face will often come in like after my shift. <laughs> like him and his, <laughs> he, he, had a, he had a homie named Seuss who called himself like Dr. Seuss. So it was like Two-Face and, and Seuss. And they, they would be on there. So yeah, man, radio was was always a thing I wanted to do. <laughs> I, and I want people to understand because I I lived in D.C., so I get it. But can you describe when you went as an intern at WPGC the legends that was there and what made them not oh, only man. D.C. not only what made them D.C. legends, but what made them legends in the culture? Ooh. Can you describe who was there when you were there in that moment? So at that moment, um, I I got my internship at w, at WPGC. I think it's like. Uh, 2000. Yeah, it was the year 2000. So at that time, WPGC had like the BET All-Stars there. You had Donnie Simpson, who was also on Video Soul. You had Adimu, who was also on Teen Summit. You had Tigger, who was on Rap City. So, you know, you had Flex also sometimes guest on Teen Summit. It was like it was like the, the BET all-stars, like I said, being there at WPGC during that time. Like, you're you're learning from legends, even though I was Tigger's intern at the time. You know, we had chances. You know, if I came in a little bit, a Debu shift was before Tigger's. So I got to come in and, and see a little bit of how a Debu you know, runs his show and how he does his craft. You know, all, all these people were, were, were excellent at their craft. You know, Michelle Wright as well, friggin' amazing at her craft. You know, uh, Easy Street, when he was there at PGC, watching him work, just amazing at their craft and how serious they take it. So, yeah, man, I'm, gl- I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> now, how long did that transition take where you're being an intern to being higher and actually being on air to actually speak. It was, it was, a, it was a lot of different transitions between all of that. <laughs> um, so my internship with Tigger at WPGC, like I said, I think that was like the summer of 2000, maybe, maybe summer 2001. I'm not quite sure. It's around that time. You know, it's a long time ago, y'all. You gotta help. You know, it's hard for me to remember. So during that time, that's when BT was also in the process of relocating to New York. Mm. So, you know, I could tell this story. I think, I think Tigger has told this story. If he gets mad, I'm telling the story. He could, he could beat me up. So, you know, it was, it was something going on where, you know, they kind of want, let Tigger leave, but you know, BT is going to New York. You know, he wants to leave and go to New York as well. So he started intentionally missing his shifts. <laughs> so D- DJ Flex would fill in for Tigger when that was going on. And because of what Tigger taught me, so so Tigger, you know, he was like, I'm about, about to show our age. You know, he always would have one of his carts lined up. Because, you know, different segments back then, there was no computer quite yet. You know, stuff was still on, on the carts. So I would have his carts lined up in order. I would have the commercial carts lined up in order because, again, nothing was all computerized yet. You know, commercials were still playing on carts. So we had to make sure I'm putting the right, the right cart. <laughs> 
So I would have his carts all lined up in, in order for like every shift and like each hour, like boom, and like, here, here are the carts for this hour, boom, here are the carts for this hour. So I'm doing the same thing when DJ Flex is filling in. And Flex was so impressed by that. It's like he's never seen an intern be like help out that much, I guess. So Flex was like, I'm going to tell them we need to hire you. <laughs> and he was serious. And it happened. So I always thank DJ Flex for, for that. But I got fired like a year later because I missed a mandatory event because um, I was still in college at the time. So I, I didn't know uh, our big women's event for sisters only. It was mandatory. I wasn't at the station as, to know what was going on. I, I I wasn't being that sponge that I learned you, you had to be the show that you really about this because I'm I'm trying to it's my senior year of college. I'm trying to graduate college. So my focus was that. So I, I got fired because that that was the if you miss for sisters only, they say you would get fired. <laughs> oh no, that was real. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was real. Like right, shout out to Reggie Rouse. He brought me to his office. He had to tell me he had to let me go. Um so I think that was probably like in two thousand yeah, because I was graduating college. So that was like two thousand two. I got let go. So here I am. I I graduated college um at one point i actually did a, i did an internship with xm radio as well when it, when they initially first launched um and that that was cool too because again similar to like how uh how university did by just letting us kids us high schoolers on air uh xm radio did the same thing i was i was a intern for a station that was uh, a teenage-based station. It was, okay. called, it was called Babylon. So it was just teen teen-focused station. So they asked me, I reached a point in my internship and they asked me, yo, you want to fill in for this person and that person? You know, they, they showed me how to how to work the board, you know, and me at P, like having learned the board at PGC, I was like, all right, you know, became like second nature. So I got to be on air a few times on, on XM radio, filling in for that team station. But yeah, so I said, fast forward, I, I got fired from PGC. But then a year later, I was like, man, you know, I didn't I'm, I'm working at finish line. I'm selling shoes and whatnot. But I'm like, I didn't go to college to sell shoes. <laughs> I went to college for radio. Like. My my major like my my degree says radio production. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that because you know what they don't tell you when you're trying to get into this media game. It's not like a regular job that you can just walk up to and submit your application and you get hired. You pretty much gotta wait on people to leave or people to get fired. So meanwhile, you still got bills to pay. What was that like for you? You like you said, you didn't major in Footlocker. You know what I'm saying? So what was that? What was that like for you? It, 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 it was it was tough at the time, uh, but then like a year after I got fired, I reached out to the same person that fired me and um, I asked for another chance. And so the thing was, since I was good at what I did, he, he brought me back on. But of course, you know, I knew not to miss any more crazy events. Um, so being rehired back at WPGC, that, that kick started uh, my hunger to really work towards getting on the radio. So here I am, I'm making sure, I'm showing up, I'm hanging out like at every shift I can, trying to soak up stuff from everybody. Like anytime, you know, I'm working a full time at Finish Line, I'm, I'm, I'm a manager, <laughs> you know, assistant manager, I'm still a manager. That still takes up a lot of hours, but when I have a free time, like, all right, I'm here at the station. And then that's when Tigger uh, eventually returned back 
to the station to do afternoons. Of course, he, he wanted me to be there to, you know, run the board for his show. So here I am working this full-time job at Finish Line. How am I going to do, you know, the the three to seven or at that time, the two to six shift with Tigger? Luckily, my main manager, they knew how much being in radio meant to me. So we worked out something where I would literally split the day. Like I would open up during the day. He would come in in in, in midday so I could go run Tigger's show. I did not come back to finish line to close in the evening. So imagine me doing that like five days a week, pretty much getting up, going to finish line in the morning, going to the radio station in the afternoon, coming back to finish line to work some more hours just because, you know, I was hungry. Uh, I wanted to show that I could do this and, and get my name. I wanted to be on radio. So, you know, I'm cutting my little air check demo tapes, trying to prove like I'm ready for that. And this is, and this is the point where I got to thank Michelle Wright. Because just like how DJ Flex was like, yo, y'all got to hire her. And they listened. Michelle Wright, you know, they nobody was listening to my air check or giving me a chance. Michelle listened to it. She liked it. Michelle was like, y'all, why have y'all listened to Nikki's air check and put her on air? It's good. <laughs> so I got to thank Michelle Wright for that. And then, you know, doing all the different overnight hours, you know how them crazy hours are doing overnights, being on the radio and still, you know, doing finish line. And then uh, eventually, you know, proving myself as a DJ as well. When I finally got that shot <laughs> to mix on air. So it, 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 it was, man, journeys. You, you, you've seen it. Like I, I still got, we could talk about my radio stories all day. That's going to be a whole that, 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 <laughs> that, that, kind of like, I want, I want, I want the audience to know something very significant. So when I got there with heat a few years as an intern, I didn't know what, your job title was because you was everywhere. Literally, you was everywhere. I didn't even know you were working ticket shift, nobody shift, because far from what I knew, you was behind the board, in the board. And for those of us that were interns and being hired, um, and you had to learn the board and how to operate, you were like the standard of what they were always telling us because you were the recent graduate. So they'd be like, yo, if you can't do it, we're going to put heat on this. And you'd be like, dang, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, you know, whatever. And, 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 you know, you were, you were always doing your thing. And to people who may not know, uh, air check was pretty much your demo of, of what you say when you're, when you're on the mic. And it's only supposed to be no less than what, two minutes. It's not even supposed to be like, it's just, and you literally be walking around the station trying to get your program director or your assistant program, your bosses to listen to your demo, like a rapper. You was literally running around. And I remember them listening to my stuff for like maybe two seconds and they'd be like, it's trash. She's like, yo, it didn't even start yet. What are you talking about? And that was that was how the system was. I mean, they would just throw you, I mean, they would literally launch your CD like a Frisbee and be like, go back to work. So when you finally got that moment when somebody listened to your demo and you got approved, the level of weight that would come off your shoulders just in that moment, I mean, it was, it was like 300 pounds of stress because it was like, oh, I just want to touch this mic, and I don't care what shift I got on. You tell me, am I am I wrong? Me when you finally got a chance to get that mic, and DC is your hometown, and you cracked that mic. What was that feeling like for you? It was like, wow, man, find a friggin' leap. 
Finally, it's happened to me. Right in front of my face, and I just cannot hide. That's that's how I felt, like because I tell anyone, WPGC was my dream job. When I was a kid, I was like, I'm gonna grow up. I'm gonna work at WPGC. I'm gonna be on a radio on WPGC. You can ask my friends from junior high school, high school, because they even come up to me as like, man, I remember you used to be saying like, man, you're going to grow up and work at WPGC and you did it. <laughs> so that was like a, a childhood dream come true, man. Yeah, it was it was I can't we can't we can go into your radio stories all day long, but I want people to really get to know the DJ Heat I know. But one moment in particular, I got to let everybody know that me and Heat shared um, there were certain holidays that used to come or events that would come in D.C. And you kind of marked yourself of where your progress was. And, you know, me and Heat, I got to a point where I'm, I'm not on the Heat's level, but I'm like a level below Heat where we pretty much saying yes to anything. We're going to run the board. And sometimes you be sitting on the board and it's just music being playing at the club. But that was your job. And it was one time for Howard Homecoming where me and Heat found out that we were the only ones that did not have any side gigs going on because the side gigs is how you made your money. And me and he looked at each other. I said, sis, and we started naming people who had work. And we both made a vow to each other that every hour home come, we're going to make sure we're going to be out here working. We're we going to make sure people going to know us outside this building. We, we was like, this is the last time we're not going to have anything else to do. And I want to use that example to kind of go to the next transition of your career because interesting thing when you and I were coming up, I always tell people we were there long enough to see the old regime and how old things were being done in radio and media period and the digital the digital change that was coming in as far as when the internet really started growing and people and the blogs really started going. What was the moment for you when you started to notice this shift and then you started making yourself more known just from cracking the mic from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Um, that's just probably when Peeper Meter came along. Um, because I think a lot of folks in radio, especially black radio, they would tell you uh how much Peeper Meter hurt. <laughs> it changed the game and it hurt the game as well. You know, anytime we're being told as DJs, so at, at this time I'm, I'm a mix show DJ as well. By the time people need to came along. Anytime there's a sign up in the DJ booth saying, don't play these songs because people turn to change the station when we play them in the mix. I'm like, this ain't no fun. Or mm. the, the identity crisis, and everybody knows the identity crisis WPGC went through when it was trying to become more poppy and sound more like Hot 99.5 because it's all based on, you know, it, that all ties into the people meter as well. You know, you know, it's, not, it's ignoring the fact that, well, you know, most folks in our community are not going to want to carry this extra stuff on them. So instead of addressing that factor, y'all just saying, oh, everybody rather listen to pop music instead. <laughs> like, no, it's just not enough of us representing how the ratings are measured. <laughs> so that that was definitely the, the change right there. And for probably a lot of people that, that lets you know, like, man, you really can't. I, I think me and you have had these conversations before. And it was probably around that time. Like, yo, there's no way... Nobody can let radio be their main focus right now. Yep. If, if you're relying on only radio 
because then that's when, you know, more syndication started happening where, you know, radio stations are just having the same host, you know, voice tracking all over for different cities and, and states. So that lets you know right there, like, yo, this radio game, you know, as much as we love it, this can't be the only thing you do. When you have that information that you know, and what was it like for you as far as making that transition? Did you decide, yo, I'm just going to quit radio altogether? Did you reboot? Like, what was your next move after that? You're at WPGC, you're at this station, it was your dream job, but there was something going on within you in your career that you felt like needed a shakeup. Um, my main thing was just getting my name out there in certain circles to get a different type of bookings. Because another thing with me, you know, I also came up in the DMV hip hop scene. So I was very well known amongst the DMV rappers and showcases and this and that. And, you know, it's no offense to them, but, you know, I'm like, I don't want to do rap showcases and stuff like that all my life. I want, I want the different, you know, higher end events. So I was already on a hustle to just continue to network and get my name out into those, that different type of, clientele so that was that was always you know with, with my one of my focuses right there which which continued to grow and you know up until uh you know i ended up leaving wpgc in 2015 you know choice of my own because you know radio was changing i was like i can't i can't i can't i can't go through what i'm going through anymore you know a, a lot of radio people that i noticed sadly they just they just stay there and and, and take the crap that they're going through and me personally, like, I'm not going to keep taking this crap. So I didn't even have another job lined up. Like, that's how fed up I was. I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to leave. It's like no hard feelings to anybody. I'm like, I just can't do this anymore. Like something happened to me on a Wednesday that, that was my breaking point. I quit that Thursday, the next morning. And, you know, a lot of people was actually happy for me because they seen a lot of the things I had went through, through all the years there <laughs> you know again not not knocking anybody is all love for everybody but you know we we know how radio can be we know how the politics can be i was like i just can't it's, it's mentally is mentally getting to me and i'm like i'm not gonna be keep being treated like a doormat did you feel any of that opposition was because you were a woman in this game no okay have you ever <laughs> have you ever felt that on your come up little things here and and there I have, and not necessarily as is. I know it's not necessarily as me being a woman, but is being a masculine gay woman. So you know, you know, we we had the, the DJs, the the female DJs that you know we we and you know we had a conversation about this on Twitter. Somebody else brought that up. Um, there was a boom at one time, probably during that same era, like like around the little late twenty tens, where you, you just had all these model looking type female DJs <laughs> it's like every uh, everybody was trying anybody that looked cute was trying to be a DJ and was getting booked not for their skill but because you know they look like pinup girls they look like you know models and whatnot so that became a thing you know that's that's not me like you're gonna hire me for my skill you know like I'm not dressing like this you want to get <laughs> how I am so it's, it's been some things like that but <laughs> 
Yeah, I remember that, Eric, because I think I even remember Solange was like a DJ for a quick second. You had celebrity DJs that was coming on the mm-hmm. on the turntables, you know, and, and things of that nature. So, yeah, I mean... I'm not mad at nobody like Solange, you know, because I know Solange has musical roots. You know, Erica Badu, she DJs. She has musical roots. It's just literally... I remember a male DJ posting that he was looking for a good-looking female, and he would teach them how to DJ. Mm. Because it was a trend... <laughs> To have, you know, some of the urban models became DJs, not just urban models, like, because I, I can't I can't just pinpoint it on the urban community because it was happening in, in the dance community, the EDM community, the pop community, like DJ community, period, was going through a time where some people was just like, oh, I'm just going to get this cute girl, like, you, you should DJ, blah, blah, blah. So. Some people would say, cross the game at that point. As a matter of fact, you and I know people who said fuck the game at that point, and particularly women who said fuck the game at that point. Why didn't you just say F it at that point? Because, like, this is my passion. This is what I love to do. And I also know that you could be as cute as you want to be, look as good as you want to be at those turntables. The deciding factor is always going to come down to the skill. If you're not, you know, controlling the party, keeping the party hype, you know, you keep clearing out the floor, you, you, you're train wrecking your mixes, because I know it's, it's nothing wrong sometimes doing a, a slam transition here and there. But if you totally like train wrecking and not just they, they're going to come back to me and stuff like that. And, and my other female colleagues that truly have skill. And we and we saw it because a lot of those cutesy DJs, do you see them still DJing? No. I don't. No, I don't know about nobody else. I, I know exactly who some of the individuals <laughs> you're talking about. And no, they're doing other things now. Like, right. it's almost as if they don't right. need to DJ no more. Yeah. Because Instagram came along. They could go back to looking cute because, you know, there was that time frame where, you know, music video was dying and, you know, the urban magazines was dying. So it was that time frame between that and Insta- before Instagram. But now Instagram is back, so they could go back to looking cute. <laughs> so you leave PGC, you having this moment, you having these frustrations, what is the move then for you? Man, I was just doing what I can to survive. I'm surprised I actually still survived on my own after that, uh, taking gigs when I was can. You know, I was hustling. I was doing Postmates (laughs) out out there hustling with that. Uh, I, I was lucky and blessed to even get a shot to DJ on Hot 97. Um, that, that same, yeah, a few months after I quit PGC, you know, shout out to, you know, my sister Megan Wright, you know, that summer, uh, Hot 97 was doing something on Megan's show where she was highlight, uh, a different DJ. Like, I think, I think it was probably like every Friday or during the lunch mix. Um, and she, she hit me up and she realized like, yo, they don't got no female DJs, you know, on the schedule. She's like, would you want to do it? I was like, yeah, of course, you know, it it wasn't paid or nothing, but I'm like, this is hot 97. (laughs) Like, how can I say, I'm going to find a way to get up there to hot 97. So, uh, one of my friends had like, got like the Amtrak ticket for me and somebody else, you know, helped out like, all, all my peoples, I'm happy my circle, my family and friends knew it was a big deal. Like, everybody knows what Hot 97 is. So there's like, oh, yeah, we got to get you up there. That that was, you know, a, an awesome moment. Like, I could say I DJed on Hot 97. I got, got great feedback from that because I was checking the socials. I was like, oh, man, everybody's, whew. like, socials was blowing up. So they, they enjoyed the mix. And we know how tough uh, New York can be. <laughs> so to say that I successfully <laughs> DJed on Hot 97, 
That was great. Uh, then the other turning point came in 2016, and that's when I started DJing uh, for Maya. So, you know, I was happy for, for different blessings that came along. And then in 2017, back in radio at 92Q, shout out to, to Talia, you know, uh, who we all, who me and you, we worked with when she was at WPGC. You know, Talia. That, what up, Talia? What up, Talia? Talia was out at, you know, uh, Radio 1 in Baltimore. And she, you know, hit me up out the blue one day. She's like, hey, you still interested in DJing on the radio? Like, I had never mentioned it before. Like, I never mentioned that, you know, I had an interest in radio. Of course, I did that thing that a lot of us do where after I quit PGC, I was sending out a lot of stuff and trying and trying and trying. And then I think I probably tried for like that first year then I stopped. I'm like, all right, you know, maybe it's not for me to be, you know, in radio. There were, there were other situations as well where I, I interviewed for, I did interviews for some other things and it just, it just never came to fruition. So when Talia reached out to me in, in 2017, she's like, hey, you interested in DJing on radio? I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and it just for the, for the strength of that relationship right there and also you know with, with Kelson had always seen Kelson you know the radio community is, is is small so you know had always seen Kelson in passing and it's cool with him so been at 92 q since, since 2017 now <laughs> doing mix show I also want if you could to expound on something that I saw that you was doing really good that we both was doing and I was inspired by you mm-hmm. is that you got real heavy in the content game online I was just telling um, Justin Tinsley how you gave me my first writing job for uh, dumb dumb rappers need teaching dot com oh, when I was writing reviews. Oh and man! So <laughs> I, I really want you to kind of talk about the importance of that because yeah, you were looking for work and you were, you were in this space, but what you were doing also to keep your name out there, I thought was was just dope too. Yeah, um, I've always been big on even before it was called social media. I was always big on, you know, on internet blogs, you know, reading those. And so just, you know, real quick, some of the things I did, like, I think it was, did I start that website? My gosh. Uh, I started DC Mumbo Sauce, was it in 2007? It was before that. Uh, so I, I ran a, a local music blog called DC Mumbo Sauce where, you know, uh, focused on showcasing DC area artists and posting on there because during the time of that blog era, you know, for for the national scene, we had sites like Two Dope Boys, Nah Riot, you know, that whole music new music cartel and whatnot. So many dope hip hop sites on the national scene. But you know, it was so tough to get on those sites. So I was like, oh, let me let me launch something that's like, you know, the two dope boys, the not right of the DMV area. So they can at least start make building their name because at that time, you know, that's really how we discovered stuff was from other blogs. And I know, you know, those blogs are going to start, you know, Google search meant a lot. So if an artist had been featured on DC Mumbo Sauce a few times and they start and try, and they trying to get on these national blogs, those national blogs would see because... You know, I, I, and I knew that because they would give credit to my site. 
you know, they, they'll let me know, like, yo, you know, he had put us on with this artist, and it became a nice little, you know, circle and, and network for that. Um, then I try to launch an, another site, like Dumb Rappers Need Teaching, I try to go Ooh. more, <laughs> when I try to go, when I try to go to more national, like, education type thing and whatnot, but DC Mumbo Saws um, always became that main focus and, and that growth and I saw how important it was to the community when I saw that places like Complex were referenced it. You know, when I saw like the Washington Post referenced it, it became the reference point. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry it's not on the line anymore, y'all. It, it got hacked and everything's gone, my bad. Um, <laughs> so I, I wish some of that stuff was there. So yeah, content, like it's, and internet has always been big and important to me because I know how how intricate it is to growth as a person and to, and to get my name out there because a lot of my networking came from being on the internet from, you know, my MySpace days to, you know, now we got social, my, my, my Twitter days, just networking with folks and, and grow to now, like with, with TikTok, like I've always been about content because you have to get with the times, basically. Like we may not want to do this stuff, but if you want to stay relevant, you have to do this stuff. Like, you know, we just have to. If there's another big app that comes along, I may not want to be on it. But if I see how is enhancing people's careers and getting them, you know, more out there and possibly more gigs, then I'm going to get on it. So that's that's always been the thing with me, man. Like, you have to be on these things. You can't just... And like, I wish it was like it was back in the day where we could just do our job and that's it. No, we can't just do our job and that's it. We have to promote ourselves. We have to be this. We have to be content creators. We have to do this. We have to show this because you know what? It, it helps get the bookings. Like with me, with this newfound stuff, with people recognizing me from TikTok, I know bookings have come from me being on TikTok or, you know, repurposing those TikToks on IG Reels. I could tell when a business reaches out to me what they check it first. They check it social media. Yeah. They check out social media first. That yeah. that is your, you know, you know what we do? Like we talk about that. We talk about how trash the algorithm is on Instagram, but we're still if somebody gets recommended, what are we gonna do? We're gonna type in their Instagram and go to their page and see what representation do they have in themselves to see if it fits. Sadly, that's how it is. I like about the way you always use your platforms. You still find a way to be you. It doesn't necessarily feel like you're trying to jump on the latest trend. Like you're not going to see Heat doing something to try to be cool. She's going to be authentically her. And that inspired me because I remember when I could not figure out WordPress and I'm like, sis, I, and you say, look, bro, I'm going to tell you this one time. If you don't go and start watching tutorials and learning how to do this, such and such, such, like you really got in my head, but it wasn't just about WordPress itself. It was about, you were telling me the importance of learning the tools for ourselves, especially to keep it a buck for those of us who were broke. We can't be afford to spend money to have somebody else do it for us. But what I learned from that was the importance of learning the background of the content, how to operate it, and the importance of being out there. And you were one of the people that kind of helped me, you know, with my voice with there. Let's, let's, I, I, something else that you do really great. You, you, and you said it earlier, but let's come back to that. You being a DJ in the NBA. Yeah. How that journey start? Let's 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 get oh, into that. Oh man! So this the journey started. Uh, I had so I, it started. Um, I became the Mystics DJ in 2017 and Wizards DJ in 2018. 
the journey had actually started years before that because I applied for this DJ position like four different times before I got it. (laughs) Four. I I applied for this position four different times before I got it. I remember the first time I was actually working at WPGC at the time. And I think it was for the Mystics DJ position. It might have been maybe like 2010, 2011. I think it was, shout out to Bones, who was working in promotions at WPGC. He was like, you know, Mystics has said that they're looking for a DJ. You know, why don't, of course, they wanted a, a female DJ. Like, why don't I apply? So I remember I applied and actually went in for the interview. Um, I didn't get the job and I'm not mad I didn't get the job because I was not ready at that time. You know, it was stuff in an interview where they was asking and I, I didn't have anything to show that, like, I, I, I wasn't ready for this job. Uh, uh, I think Jealousy ended up getting, getting a job, actually. So, you know, Jealousy was prepared and ready. He didn't know that we both interviewed for the job. So after he got the job, um, I guess they told him and or maybe somebody else at the station mentioned it. So jealousy had came up to me at the station. It's like, oh, he like, I didn't know you apply for the job as well. If if I would have known that, I would have said, just give it to you. I was like, nah, it's cool. Because like I said, in my head, like I knew I was not prepared and ready for this job based on how my interview went and, and the questions and whatnot. So then in I believe in 2014, somebody told me, like, hey, you should apply. So I did again, nothing. 2015, I was told again, hey, you know, the job is open and, you know, you should apply. And for that application, they wanted like a pitch video. So I remember creating this video and, you know, I made it unlisted on YouTube and submitted the YouTube link. And I know they didn't watch it because the views, the, the, the view count didn't change in my YouTube video. So I'm like, dang, they didn't even watch my video like did it even open my application so let's get to 2017 again i'm being like every time i'm being told by someone else (laughs) so it's like everybody always felt like i could do it (laughs) because it always came from someone else that would tell me the position is open so this time is shout out to trey trey's at uh kys right now so trey was working for the Mystics, and he told me the position is open. I'm like, Trey, I done applied for this position three different times, though. Like, I'm, I'm tired at this point. He's like, nah, 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 Heat, go ahead, go ahead. I'm like, all right, I'm apply again. I actually get a response back this time. They asked him to send in a demo, so I sent in a demo, and then they asked, say, like, all right, auditions is on this day. You know, come in for these auditions. And these auditions look like something out of a, like of a DJ battle for real. They had like one DJ set up here. They had another DJ set up over there and they just tossed out different scenarios for each DJ. So I was smart. I started doing my research before the auditions and I came across this sports website for music and it had different playlists for depending on the situation. So I'm downloading a lot of these songs and whatnot. So here's what makes it even more interesting. The person that runs that website is my boss at the Mystic. Oh. So I had the cheat code. Like, oh. I'm playing. Like, I find I didn't know that at the time, but then I put two and two together. Like, the person I'm auditioning for runs this website that has songs that you would play in this situ- these situations. So I tried to remember and try to go with different ones. So it wasn't just that from my audition. So, of course, like I said, I, I got the job. Um, and he told me it wasn't just that, but he also loved my energy during the audition 
because while other DJs were auditioning, I'm still dancing and hype and energetic with everything that they playing. So he said, he was like, they noticed that. Like, yo, other DJs are auditioning and she's still back there having fun while the other DJs are auditioning. <laughs> so yeah, so that's how I got that, that Missy position in 2017. Finally, after, like I said, trying for four years. And then in, in 2018, I was offered the business position and I was like, heck yeah. When you think about your journey, I'm pretty sure there's been a million and one lessons, but what's been the most consistent lesson you've had to tell yourself through all those, through those times? Don't put an age limit on yourself because everything that I am experiencing, all the success I'm going through now, uh, it started in my late thirties and now I'm, I'm 43. And I know we tend to put, like I said, limits on ourselves and our success. There, there is no limit. So that's that's one thing, right there. Like I still, I still know there's a lot to accomplish. And just because I'm 43, that don't that don't mean nothing. I like, you know me. I talk about one one dope influence through the pandemic, and now has was D Nice. Yeah, we and, and D Nice did it just for being his genuine self. And we already, you know, me and people like me and you, we were already familiar with D-Nice. You know, I've been to D-Nice parties before. But to see the level he's skyrocketed to, and you can say it's later in his career now, and it's still more to come. Like, this man has a whole club quarantine tour now. And and you can't you can't count it out. Like you you never know. So don't don't put an age limit on yourself. That's been the biggest thing. What is something you, you saw in the change of culture that you wish we have not have lost? Because I know you talked about how we gotta grab onto these new things, we gotta learn. But what's something that you feel in the craft of everything that you feel like we should get back to? Um, I just want a lot of these newer DJs to use their ears and not their eyes when they're mixing. And I say that because I know with Serato, that like they just look you can look at you can match up the songs just by looking at it. But it's another thing to feel the song and to feel the mix before you present it to the listeners. So that's always been my biggest thing. So if you listen, you see a lot. I don't know if some older DJs do it now and I get it, you know, but they could do that because they probably still feel the music even without having to hear it because they've been playing it for so long. But like the newer DJs, I don't think they know how crucial it is and how much of a difference it makes with, you know, to make sure you hear that in your queue, when you get the queued up and ready before putting it out there. Like I even had one person tell me he didn't know he had to use headphones. Like he was about to start learning how to DJ. They really think you just look at the screen and wait for it to match up because yeah, Serato, it, 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 it beat, beat matches. But going back to the homie DJ RBI, one cool thing that he does teaching this new generation, he covers the screen. When he teaches the young generation now, like because I, I I sat in on one of his classes, he he covers the screen like no, use your ears. Mm. So that's it. I just want more DJs to use to feel the music. You gotta feel it with your ears, not your eyes. 
love that. And I, I love the fact that, you know, you and I are having this moment because we always had these conversations privately. And, you know, I've been seeing your work, whether we talk personally or seeing you from afar. One of my favorite things you were doing um, was the show you had, my first album, which, you know, I was always had a little beat with you because I was like, I need you to hit me. I need you to hit me. <laughs> I know, man. I know, man. You always have something in there. And to everybody that knows you, not only are you a DC legend and icon, but everyone loves you because your attitude is always so good and you're always so professional. I mean, this episode, right, we wanted to. It can go on for like sequels and stuff like that. And um, I want to let you know that the door is completely, completely always open if you want to come over here and promote specifically. But I wanted to get your story first because those of us that love you, your story is one of the most like unique stories of being consistent from my hometown that I've ever, 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 ever heard. You know, there was many times where you could have said F this and nobody would have blamed you. But you stayed with that. And you, I never, never saw you turn bitter. You know what I mean? That was like the big thing. Like you was never walking around bitter. You was always just like, yeah. And I was like, all right, if he ain't bitter, all right, let me, let me, let me get myself together. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, I'm glad that I'm somebody who can take this part in documenting your story because we don't often hear about the work. We live in an era now where everything is just on social media. These people pop and they blow up and nobody wants to talk about the work. So I'm really, really glad that you took time to tell your documented story. So let me just say as a brother i love you sister and thank you for that moment right there thank you for that i thank you as well i love you too with, with all that you're doing as well because you listen like i said we we two peas in the pod same thing with you you keep persevering with everything i'm like because we both like listen something's going to stick we, we give out all to all of our passion projects yeah but we like listen one of these is going to be the one, but you can't say we never gave our all to everything that we did and kept pushing. And even when we get knocked down, we, we keep getting back up and fighting. <laughs> <laughs> What's something that we can look for for you right now before you go? Oh, man. Just like I said, keep elevating. Keep, okay. I'm, not, I'm not done. I'm not done yet. Okay. The Lord ain't finished with me. <laughs> so right now we can definitely catch you at the Wizards games, the NBA games. We can catch you on the radios. Anything other projects you got bubbling? Man, just all around the city, different type events going on. Ambassador for Fit DC. Shout out to Fit DC. You know, you can catch me. You know, it shows with, with Maya. You know, with, with, with my schedule permits and whatnot, because <laughs> I know my schedule been crazy as well. But you know, doing the, the, the show dates with Maya when I can. And all your platforms are at DJ Heat DC, right? Yep, yep. All the platforms. All the platforms. I keep it consistent, baby. Yeah, I encourage everybody to um, check out everything because even Heat be on TikTok and her stuff be rocking. So I'm like, yo, she make it work. So it's like you have so many things and stuff like that. Like, I just want us to continue to support. And please, 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 if you have something in particular that you want to come on, please come on the show. I, I definitely, the door is always open for you, sis. I appreciate it. Appreciate you, bro. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that's been good, man. I appreciate it. It's been another episode of The History of Being Black. I know my blackness has been elevated. My sis, DJ Heat Blackness, has been elevated. My guy, Ghost, the producer in the background, his blackness has been elevated. <laughs> it's just what we do. You can find me, as usual, on all of your social media platforms at J Hall Society. As usual, be blessed, successful, and we'll talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by J Hall. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcasts. 
Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O'Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O'Line Media. Get the Mean O'Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O'Line Media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.